0: This is Perspectives. It's the show where we have a conversation about our many differences only to discover how much more we have in common. Again, I'm Condis Presley. If it sounds like I am beating a drum this summer when it comes to talking about reading and how critically important it is for our youth, it is because I am. As you all know, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens has declared 2023 the year of the youth. And this program is doing its part by encouraging young people to read. Our guest on the program today is Elia dawn johnson she is an award-winning author she wrote the summer prince love is the drug and trouble the saints but what we're going to talk more about today the library of broken worlds uh, and i don't want to steal any of your thunder so uh, first of all Elia, just tell us about your passion I'm going to guess it started with reading, and then you discovered that you are a writer.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here. Um, yeah, I really started, I, I learned to read young. My mom, um, I, was her, I was the oldest of three, and I think my mom kind of didn't realize that three was a little young to teach her child to read because I wanted it. I wanted it I, as soon as I understood that there were things like letters and words and that they made meaning and that they were encoded in books. I mean, everything about that was to me, the most glorious thing. And I, I, I wanted that magic, you know, so I, I learned how to read and, and, and for me, as soon as I learned how to read and then I read my first novel, um, you know, I, I call it like my first novel, I must've read other books, you know, but the one that I really remember is, is The Secret Garden. By Francis Hudson Burnett, which is, you know, a kind of more advanced reading level, but I it had illustrations. So I just kind of kept going and kept reading it. And it was, it really opened up my world and expanded so much about what I thought, you know, it made me feel less lonely. And I think that feeling has always persisted. This feeling of of connecting with books, of understanding the world better of. Of being able to see the world through other perspectives it gives you different context for your own life i mean that was that to me was the magic of reading and and i wanted to be able to give that to others i wanted to be able to tell my own stories and and tell stories like the ones i was reading but that were more representative of my own experience you know i mean i spent a lot of time when i was younger reading books that were nothing but but white protagonists and i i mean i enjoyed them but i definitely felt that i wanted more you know, and I, I felt like I needed to write it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that's how, that's how I became a writer. In a lot of ways, I think I was kind of born a writer. Now, Lord knows I was not born with, you know, knowing how to write. I mean, there was a long learning curve there, but I did know, I didn't know I needed to tell stories for sure.
0: You describe your work as far future galaxy-spinning, mind-bending science fiction. Why? (laughs) So,
1: you know, it's kind of funny because I'm trying to come up with ways of describing the kinds of science fiction that I love and that I've always loved to read, the kind that kind of cracks your brain open a little and and makes you see something differently. Um, And so this is like the work of Octavia Butler, which I encountered at 13, I read Kindred. I mean, I remember just sitting in front of my locker, like like incapable of moving. <laughs> just, it was hours past, like students are walking by me, like, are you gonna go home like incapable of moving? And, and it just I just had no idea that you could do something like that. I had no idea that, that you could publish something like that. I mean, to me, it was mind blowing. And, and, and Samuel Delaney, a classic writer of, of science fiction, Um, absolutely mind-bending. I mean, truly no one, no one these days is writing stuff as mind-bending as Chip Delaney, I think. Um, and, and, uh, and Ursula Le Guin and, you know, and, and that kind of science fiction, the kind that, that takes our world and shifts it a little, that makes you go, wait, wait, oh, you can do that? Oh, I didn't think to reimagine this. So I didn't think that we could do this differently. You know, I, I think to me, science fiction is as much about the social aspect as it is about the technological aspect. You know, I, I think that that we lose sight of that because we've focused so much on science fiction as like techno innovation and, you know a lot of war based science fiction, a lot of science fiction that, that kind of goes in that direction. But science fiction is just speculation on the future. It's speculation on, on our humanity. And how much is that about social innovation, about the way we relate to one another? You know, I mean, that's what I loved when I realized you could do that. And that's what I I decided I wanted to write, but for a young adult audience.
0: And what made you choose the young adult audience as your playground for minds to feed?
1: you know, I, I feel like I have an inner 17 year old, you know, and, and it doesn't matter how old I get, it turns out my inner 17 year old just lives in me. And she has things that she loves. And she has books that she wants to write. And I think this is very much that for me, you know, I I had those books that I, I wanted, I felt that they were missing. And this is the kind of novel that I felt was missing when I was growing up as something, something that's, that's diverse, that really contemplates different perspectives. It's not a future that presumes um, that the the imperialist systems we have now will just continue indefinitely into the future. It's not something that de facto marginalizes the same people who have always been marginalized. It's a a world that has its problems that I try to make much more diverse and inclusive. And I think that for me, being able to talk to people who are at the cusp of becoming adults who are not children any longer at all and are able to turn around and look at the world you know that moment when you look at the world and you realize wait people have been telling me this thing but that's not entirely true right or this is supposedly the way i'm supposed to be but it's actually harmful to me you know or or i'm not feeling fully realized or or seen this world doesn't nurture the things that I need in my life to feel happy or to feel safe. You know, those, those are the things that you suddenly realize or that you're beginning to realize when you're 17. And I think to me, it's, it's so vital to be able to write for that moment because I think we, we end up with kind of two choices. We close ourselves off and we, and we pretend and we just try to like get along and not question or we open ourselves up more and we question more and we create and we rethink the world and we try to make it different. And to me, that's the reason why libraries are under you know, such threat. That's the reason why education is under such threat because at its best, literature is expanding our world. It's giving young people an opportunity an imaginative space in which to imagine a different future. And the last thing I want to do is shut that down. You know, I wrote this novel so that, that there can be more, a larger space in which young people can imagine and, and play and create.
0: Tell us about the Library of Broken Worlds. What's the story about?
1: Yeah, so it follows Freda. She's a young woman uh, who was born in the library. So um, the library of this far future world, um, 4,000 years in the future, is actually a, a whole entire separate planet with its own sun and it's a city that was built uh in the aftermath of a intergalactic war that almost killed humanity and it was built as a bastion of peace the idea was that this library was going to collect human knowledge and also human power and that the these massive artificial intelligences that people call material gods Um, kind of incarnate and and keep safe all of this collected human knowledge and they are also capable of great destruction so it's kind of like the carrot and the stick so the stick is you know if you if you get out of line and you start fighting wars again like we're going to come after you and the carrot is now we have all of human knowledge we have so many different perspectives we have university we have all of you know a great center for peace and so Freda is born actually she's the daughter of these material gods, these artificial intelligences, and they've created her in the tunnels of the library. And so she's both an insider and an outsider. She's the daughter. She was raised by the head librarian. On the other hand, she isn't really considered human. Is she a human or is she an object? Is she artificial intelligence or organic intelligence? And so she has, she both feels like she is of the library and entirely apart from it. And she has been uh, forced to suffer a lot of violence because of her intermediate position. And so when she ends up meeting two outsiders, one of whom is indigenous from Tierra, which is Earth, um, and he's fighting uh, lunars from who live on, the mo- live on the moon who are trying to take over his, uh, his ancestral land and a, a uh, disciple of a persecuted religious minority who has very against her will Come uh, as a refugee to Library City, and she meets both of them, and they're both, in their own ways, victims of the library's peace. You know, their its supposed system of peace. And so, basically, it's it's that moment that's her revelation that when she begins to question and explore and reevaluate her place in the world and the library's place in the world. Why set the
0: story in a library? What's the significance of that?
1: I mean, I I love libraries. I, I grew up in libraries. I can't, you know, this is. I'm actually staying at a friend's house, and you can see the library behind me because I came right here <laughs> because I love libraries, you know. And and I think a lot of a lot of young people um, today and and you know those of us who were younger earlier, like we we grew up knowing that at least there was one place to go where we could be safe. Like there was one place where the world could open up around us and and you know for some people that's just so vitally important that physical space as well as the resource you know I think a lot of times now I mean the internet has given us lots of opportunities but I think it's also maybe we're a little losing sight of the fact that the physical space is so very important Um, and and so that was that was the reason why I, I just had these these visions of going to the library in DC where I grew up, um, the Library of Congress. And I would sit in like the big reading room and get these little slips of paper and write the books on them. And then magical people would go into the bowels of the library and come back out with books. I mean, it was just the most amazing experience. And I, I think it just kind of stayed with me. And I thought, you know, what would be even better would be if I were born in the library, you know, if I could just be here all the time and explore all of its secret passageways and they don't let me down, but I know the way, you know, I think a lot of it was just that, that deep childhood fantasy, but coupled with like a lot of world building and, and, a, and a deeper understanding of, of the outside world, you know, but I think there's a lot of, 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 a, of a small Alaya in my own my own dreams of, of, you know, the ideal library, I guess.
0: And it took you seven years to bring this story to life? Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, it's funny because it doesn't seem like that long ago and yet it was quite a while ago. Um, you know, it just took that long. And now, so I wasn't writing it uh, continuously for seven years. I started it, actually I moved, um, I immigrated to Mexico in like around nine, almost 10 years ago now. And um, it was a really life-changing experience for me. It, it really rewired my brain. It quite literally, I, I learned a second language. I started living my life in Spanish, um, primarily. I went to school. I got a master's degree. <laughs> and that all my schooling was in Spanish. My thesis was in Spanish. So, I mean, I really totally upended kind of like the way I saw the world and, and for the better. But I think a lot of that, infuse the novel and it 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 made it deeper the longer I I started working on it so it's about a couple of years after I moved to Mexico that I started it and then I had a draft and I went back and I worked on Trouble the Saints which was my adult novel that came out in 2020 and then you know I came back to this novel and I said oh wait I have to fix things you know so I kept trying to fix things and I realized oh I just need to have a I just need to deepen the world building so I, I took six months and just did as much as I could of like the monetary system and the justice system and and exactly how people move around and transport and how ecosystems of artificial intelligences that are much smaller grow their food and and clothing grows on trees and all sorts of things. So I just kind of, I, I had just truly reams of material. I, I did not use most of it, but I kind of needed it to be able to, to make the world feel like real and lived in. So. I mean, that was a lot of what I was doing. It was, it was just the layering and the thinking required. And a lot of times my thinking is just letting things sit, you know, not trying to push it. So I wasn't, I certainly wasn't sitting around for seven years every day writing a sentence, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just a long process. And when I did all that rewriting, I was able to bring it into the novel, but it also required me to throw out 80% of the book. So I rewrote it and, um, a couple more edits, you know, it just, it just takes time. Like that's the process. But for me, Fredo's story was just so important. It was so vital to get it right.
0: So why'd you move to Mexico?
1: You know, it was a lot of different, motivations. One of them was that I'd just been fascinated by Mexican history, and I'd been studying Mexican history for several years with some idea of writing a novel based on Mexican history, which I haven't written. Um, I was researching it for a long time. I was really fascinated with Mexico, and I realized that I just, I couldn't handle living in the U.S. anymore. I, I kind of got, uh, I just, I just hit that point, and I thought to myself, you know, well, why don't I, take an extended break, you know, and I'll go to Mexico. And I, and I traveled around and I met people and I started learning Spanish. And I was just really overwhelmed with with how different it was and how much more nurturing it felt to be around students in Mexico. And to just, it, it, was, it, just, it just felt more open to me. But I met my, my partner there, he's indigenous and there's a lot of anti-indigenous discrimination in Mexico. Nevertheless, it did feel like a place there was a lot more room for me to exist in um, and so I ended up just deciding to live there. <laughs> I felt I just feel like I just felt like I'd come home for the first time in my life. And I I just decided to live there.
0: Tell me what you think about artificial intelligence, because it is dominating conversations everywhere. And the impact that AI, especially when it comes to creativity and writing, the impact that that's going to have on the work that we do.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's so funny when you write science fiction that you can, you start it and no one's talking about AI, Oh, you know? I mean, nobody, it was not part of the conversation. I was not trying to like jump on any bandwagon. I just thought that was an interesting angle. You know, I thought to myself, well, in the future, there's no reason why our organic intelligences would be the only ones. It just seemed to me logical that there would be different ways of coming to consciousness. (laughs) And that if that were true, then you might end up with consciousnesses that are so powerful that they're like gods. But it didn't seem to me that it was necessarily true that they would be evil or destructive or want to like eat our brains or whatever. You know, I I, that never, that was, to me, the thing about technology are the, it's a tool and the ends to which it is put that is what worries me. So uh, AI, like it, as AI, I think is very neutral. Certainly we're in, in no danger right now of, of you know, some kind of great AI takeover. And I think it's a little telling that you know some business leaders or you know, people who are very invested in the status quo don't wanna talk about how right now the use of AI is further degrading Are like labor and practices of how we give um how we share the the value of of artistic labor among artists right like so many smaller companies are getting more these large companies are getting larger and larger pieces of the pie whereas creators are getting less and less and this just seems to me as a way of accelerating that but that doesn't seem to me to be inherent in the technology. That's the use to which people are putting it. And I, I think, you know, if anything, I feel like my novel is ironically sort of a way of saying listen artificial intelligence could also give us a more egalitarian community it could also it could give us a space in which you know certain labor is is not performed by by humans but by by creatures that have just totally different ideas and ways of thinking and interacting with the world it can be part of an ecosystem where we relate to one another differently i mean there's a lot of different ways that we can think about ai that's not just you know the overlords or you know, further exploiting people. I think that's, that's the kind of imaginative leap that I ended up making. And it's just funny because we're all talking about it now. And I just, I just don't want people to think that, you know, oh, you either embrace technology, which means you're embracing exploitation or you're a Luddite and you hate technology. I mean, that's a totally false dichotomy. I can embrace technology and embrace, you know, egalitarianism and embrace ideas that, that make the world better, you know?
0: As a writer and as a creative, where do you stand on the current debate about books and the ones that are in libraries and in our classrooms and what our kids can read?
1: I think that our kids need to be exposed to a variety of perspectives and not be limited by what some person extremely small idea of the world is, you know, the, the, these images that I've seen coming out of Florida in particular of, of the books that they're taking away for review, which is basically, you know, carting them off to, I don't even know, you know, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to burn them. Or are they going to bury them? I have no idea. No one's going to read them. That's for sure. And, you know, it, it just seems really tragic because we're talking about, we're talking about different ideas. We're talking about things that make Humans evaluate the world and see the world in different ways. And I, and I the idea of of making that view of the world smaller and smaller and smaller, it just it just creates, you know, it just creates an environment in which people can be more and more and more exploited. <laughs> I, I think that's that's really tragic. You know, I, I think a lot of of um, this backlash is very much about about creating people who can't see beyond. That standard narrative. And it's so important, and you know, for that reason, to be able to write stories and get stories that are beyond that standard narrative, that question, that expand people's ability to imagine and to evaluate and to think critically into the hands of young people because it's, you know, on some level, they're right. This is an existential battle and it's really important to give young people the tools in order to see why, um, you know, the book banners are not, they're not representing reality.
0: What is it that you are hoping young readers are going to take away from the library of broken worlds?
1: You know, what I most hope, um, what I most wanted to To do with this novel was to create enough space, to create an imaginative space for young readers, for all readers, you know, but especially for young readers. To be able to say, oh, this can be different. I didn't even think that we could re-examine our justice system. I didn't think that we could just have a totally different idea of, of what justice is or what it means. Or I didn't realize that, you know, saying that something is peaceful doesn't necessarily mean it's peaceful for everyone. I mean, I want to create something that that encourages thought and imagination and bringing their own perspective to the narrative. And, and, and that to me is the most important thing, that if a reader comes out of it with all sorts of ideas and and, and wants to argue with the book and, and write me a letter and say like, oh, but I thought this, you know, I didn't know about this one. And what wouldn't that do something else? And what about this God? I mean, that's amazing to me to engage with the book, to engage with your world. I mean, that's what it's all about. And that's that's what I really hope that young readers can can get out of
0: it. And how can readers engage with you? Are you active on? In- all all of the social media platforms, or do you take emails and letters?
1: I take emails and I mean, no one's written me a letter so far, but if you wanted to, I would be delighted. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm, I'm a little more active on Instagram, uh, Alaya DJ, but I'm, that's also my Twitter handle. Um, I have a substack, so you could could you read a little more than me. But honestly, if you would like to get in touch with me, I'm so old-fashioned. Like, I need an email. I respond to all emails,
0: though. What's next for you now that you've got this one uh, out and in stores and in the hands of young readers? Uh, surely you're working on something new.
1: I am, although, Lord, <laughs> I'm all kind of like, whew, there's been a, been a bit of a gauntlet. But yeah, I'm working on, on the sequel, actually. I'm working on a on a related novel. It, it's, it involves Freda and her friends, but it's from the perspective of, of New characters characters and it takes place um on the ocean in the great pacific garbage patch so <laughs> it's all sorts of interesting
0: new research for me to do where do you find those germs of ideas that send you down your research paths
1: you know sometimes they come to me in a flash like this novel came to like the the co- a core image came to me very much like in the middle of the shower like i just there it was you know there was freda there was a library there was the an you know it was just right But others, and and certainly like the big chunks of my ideas, I I call it my compost heap in my brain. I just try to always have new experiences and experience the world a little differently, question things, read a lot. You know, I just try to fill the compost bin with like really good material. And then I just let it ferment. And eventually something pops out of that. (laughs) You know, that's my process.
0: Remind us one more time of your your handles so that uh, folks can find you, read more about you, and your Substack.
1: Yeah, it's Alaya DJ. Um, my handle's on Instagram and Twitter, and Alayadonjohnson.com for my email. <laughs> and if you'd like to get in touch,
0: thank you so much for your time. Enjoying this and passing this book along to my young adult niece. I'm sure she's going to enjoy it a great deal.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Condes. This is All so right. great.
0: is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condas Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condas? C-O-N-D-A-C-E and Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives.